God is on the move. You believe that? Henry Backleby said that God is at work all around us, and he invites us to join him. Some years ago, Eastwood Baptist Church decided to join what God's doing, and today we're going to celebrate, we go to South Campus, uh, uh, an outpost, uh, a, a missionary point where people, because of South Campus, people have come to Christ that will be in heaven that would not have otherwise heard about the good news of the gospel. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. God is on the move. Sometimes uh, we see the movement and sometimes we don't. Uh, there's a story here in Acts chapter 3 that offers a contrast to what happened in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, who had been restored and had been redeemed and restored by the Lord after he denied Jesus three times, stood and preached the first sermon in the early church. And we're told when he, at the end of the sermon that 3,000 people got saved. Now, that's exciting, isn't it? I've never been in a church where 3,000 people got saved. I was in a church in Ohio, and one service we had 33 people saved. That was pretty exciting. Uh, but most of us are not going to be part of a church that reaches that many people. Uh, sometimes we get our uh, we we get a little overambitious. Uh, we were I was pastoring in Henderson, and Charlene and my daughter Christy and I had been to Somerset to see my parents. And we were driving back on Saturday night. We were driving back uh, uh, the parkway there, the Cumberland Parkway. And I was going through uh, uh, Columbia, Kentucky. And uh, Columbia, Kentucky, the whole county only has about 5,000 people. It was a Saturday night, and I was looking for a radio station. Charlene and Christy were uh, they were asleep, and I was looking for a radio station. And in Columbia, the radio station paused on a on a station where there was a, there was a, a Pentecostal preacher. And uh, just think about it. Saturday night, probably around 6 or 7 o'clock. And if everybody in the county had been listening, you'd only have 5,000 people. There's probably 50 to 100 people. Here's how he started his, his sermon. Hello, world. <laughs> I almost drove off the road. Hello, world. <laughs> I love your optimism, brother, but I do not believe that is reality. You know, and sometimes preachers get up. I've been to the Southern Baptist Convention and big evangelism rallies where preachers get up. We're going to win the world. No, you're not. You're going to win a part of the world. You're going to win, help win the world in which you live. And the book of Acts knows about that. So in the book of Acts, we go from 3,000 to one. Let's read the story. Now Peter and John were going up together into the temple complex of the hour of prayer at three in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg for those entering the temple complex. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, 
I have neither silver nor gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Get up and walk. And then taking him by the hand, he raised him up. At once his feet and ankles became strong. And so he jumped and stood and started to walk and entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Oh, what a story. I can't reach 3,000, but I can reach one. See, there's three contrasts in the story. One is we go from this this big number of 3,000 people getting saved in one day, but then we come down to the one. And that's really where you and I are to live. That's where a church are to live. We're to live with the one. So the question is, who's your one? Who is it that you're praying for? Who is it you're trying to develop a relationship with? Who is it that God has placed in front of you that you can offer them the good news of the gospel? There's another contrast here. Here was a man that was lame and and hadn't walked. It was lame from his mother's womb. But he was sitting in front of this beautiful gate begging. Here's a man begging. But he's, he's in front of one of the magnificent wonders of the temple complex. It was covered with Corinthian bronze. And when the sun hit it, it was so brilliant you couldn't look at it. So here you had this beautiful uh, architecture. And yet you had a man that people wouldn't look at because his legs were withered. You had that contrast. The third contrast is you had people going to worship. They were going to worship God and they didn't see him. The man had become invisible. I've been in big churches across the country, and uh, what happens in a big church, in fact, Charlie and I are members of a large church in Hendersonville, big church runs, First Baptist Hendersonville runs, before COVID, they ran about 4,000. And the truth is, if you don't get in a Bible study class, you're never going to be known there. And what would happen there, we'd go to worship, and people would greet us, but they would look through us. They would look past us. We were invisible to them because nobody knew us. We we weren't known. These people were going to worship, and nobody saw him. Nobody saw this guy. He'd been sitting there for years. And you can almost imagine him there. Got his somebody carried them him there every day so he could get enough money to possibly feed his family and take care of himself, and they would flip a quarter into his lap or somebody might give him a dollar or whatever the currency would have been in those days, a denarii. But on this day, on this day, his life was fixing to change. You all understand fixing, right? I mean, you get out of, you get to the north and they don't understand what fixing is, but this guy's life was fixing to change. And it was about to change. That's right. That, that's, you know, that's, that's the slang. Fixing is the, good, is the good idiom to use in Kentucky anyway. But, uh, so, so, so Peter and John were on their way to worship. But on their way to worship, they saw the man. You see, there are people all around us that need to be seen. You go to grocery stores. You go to get gasoline. You... You go to places to shop, and what happens is people become invisible. 
We see them, but we don't see them. But on this day, he was seen. Peter and John stopped and saw the man. Over 10 years ago, there were some people here that began to see a need in Plano, at least in the south part of Warren County where the growth was happening. The thought was they were going to build a building here and, and that, that, you know, and not, not that it was wrong, it's just that God had other plans. He knew that there was a need for an evangelistic outreach point on the south side of Warren County towards Scottsville where the road was. You all knew when they built that four-lane road to Scottsville, something was going to happen, right? Something was fixing to happen. God was on the move. And they looked about some other land, but then God had a, had a plan for 12 acres right on Scottsville Road. Do you know what the daily traffic count on Scottsville Road is? Hundreds and thousands of cars go down that road every day. And there was a people here that saw what could happen. You see, you got to see it. And then once you see it, once you begin to see it, you've got to offer people the good news of the gospel. That's what happened here. Peter and John were on their way to worship, and on the way to worship, the Spirit of God intersected with them, stopped them, interrupted them, and said, look at the man. And they stopped, and they said to the man, look at us. We don't know his name, but here's, here's what you need to know. You and I are the lame man. At some point in our lives, somebody stopped long enough to share with us the gospel in our brokenness. We weren't able to bring ourselves to Jesus, but somebody stopped and helped us. It might have been a parent, a grandparent, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, uh, a neighbor, a deacon, somebody that stopped, saw us, and said, look at us. Peter and John said, look at us. Well, this man never looked at anybody. He kept his head down. He was broken. He was ashamed. What he was doing was humiliating. Peter and John stopped and said, look at us. And they looked at him. They looked at him and he looked at them. And Peter said, I know what you're looking for. What you're looking for is money. But money had not solved the man's problem. You see, you can, you can throw money down a social ministry hole and it'll never get to a person's soul. And Peter and John said, we don't have silver and gold, but what we do have is what you need. In the name of Jesus the Nazarene, stand and walk. And you know what? He did. The man stood and he walked. You see, what Peter and John believed is what you and I need to believe is that what people need is Jesus. That's the reason this church started the South Campus. That's why this campus continues to be strong and needs to, needs to continue to be strong is because what people need, who people need, is Jesus. Peter and John looked at the man and they offered him what you and I have to offer. You see, this church and every church that claims the name of Jesus, all we have to offer people is Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. 
but he's enough. You see, when you're convinced that Jesus is enough, then he is enough. We try to attract people with all kinds of different stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as everything that we're doing has Jesus at the core. Our worship, our Bible studies, our ministries, our vacation Bible school, our, our, our teaching, our, our Bible study classes, everything at its core has to point to Jesus because without Him there is no power. What happened was that these, these two men stopped and offered the man Jesus, and taking him by the hand, you see, nobody would touch the guy. He was probably dirty, unbathed, certainly unattractive. And they offered him a hand of fellowship. And when they offered him a hand, when, they, when Peter reached out and took his hand, there was this power of Jesus that flowed through him. And the man, all of a sudden, his lame legs that he'd never walked on began to be strengthened. And next thing you knew, it moved down to his ankles. The next thing you knew, the guy was standing on his feet. The next thing you knew, he was leaping and jumping and praising God. It was contagious. We understand what it means to be contagious, don't we? Some of you still wearing masks. Some of you glad to have the second shot. Uh, some of you have had the COVID and you've overcome it. It's been a tough year. We understand what it means to be around somebody contagious. I was in Henderson yesterday doing a funeral with a longtime friend of ours, and uh, they were telling me that the staff at Zion Baptist Church, where Charlie and I served, that, that three of the four staff members had gotten COVID because they weren't wearing masks. They got around people who were contagious, and the pastor is still suffering somewhat from COVID. We understand what it means to be contagious, don't we? People that are contagious, if, if they've got something that's catchable, you get around them, you're going to get it. This early church was contagious with the gospel. You see, you and I need to be contagious. Wouldn't it be something if the world said, you Christians, you've got to wear a mask because you're too contagious. you got what people, they need it, but we don't want them to get it from you. Wouldn't it be something if you and I were so contagious about our faith? These disciples got it. They understood the gospel. They understood the power of Christ to change lives. They were contagious in their convictions that Jesus Christ could meet this man's need. They got it. What you and I have to do is we have to get it. That what people need is Jesus. That the gospel is what we must share with every age group and every person. That every ministry has to be permeated and premised on the gospel. We have to get that this is the reason the church exists to offer the hope of the gospel to hopeless people. The early church caught what Jesus offered. Faith and hope and love. They were doing what they had learned from Jesus. And we are to do the same. Uh, they had a message that was contagious, and, and, and they, had this, they had this unquenchable optimism. Can you imagine? Peter and John had probably walked by this man many times. They'd gone to the temple complex to worship, but this day, the Holy Spirit prompted them and gave them this unquenchable optimism that what this man needed was Jesus. And so they offered him Christ. They had the confidence that what they offered the man was what he needed. In the name of Jesus the Nazarene, 
walk. The name stood for all that one is. Therefore, invoking the name of Jesus brought all the power of the resurrected Christ. The name of Jesus released the power of the resurrection in this man's life. The early church was contagious in their excitement and their enthusiasm that Jesus is alive. We need to be excited the fact that Jesus is alive. Over and over again, they say in the early chapters of the book of Acts, but God raised him from the dead, that Jesus Christ that died on a cross came forth alive. They were contagious in their conviction that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins and three days later rose from the dead giving us the assurance of everlasting life forever with him. The message of the gospel is contagious. There are some messages that are contagious. Some of you are old enough to remember this. I'm dating myself a little bit but uh, uh, in the 19... 1954, now Dana, you're not old enough yet, but, but some of you, I'm not going to name everybody, but uh, uh, Bill Jackson, you were old enough, right? Are you, are you old enough? You got talked about last week pretty badly, so we're, we're, we love you, brother. We do. We love you. I'm not so sure we're glad that Brother Luther's here because of you, but anyway, uh, God bless you. Uh, 1954, R.J. Reynolds came out with a new cigarette. It was, it was called Winston. And there was a slogan. Some of you can help with the phrase, Winston tastes good. <laughs> Some of you. This is tobacco country, right? This is, yeah. let's, let's fast forward a little bit. 1984, Wendy's had a tagline. You remember what the tagline, this wrinkled up older lady? Remember what it was? Where's the beef? <laughs> you remember that, don't you? Some of you are old. Um, Nike's got one today, right? Just do it, right? Some of us remember some of the old hymns. What can wash away my sins? But the blood of Jesus. You see, there are certain messages that advertisers called sticky. Those things stick. You think about it. 1954, we still remember some of that stuff. The gospel is sticky. Jesus saves is a sticky message. Jesus changes lives. The early church had a message that was contagious. It's called the good news. Oh, that the church today would be contagious with the gospel, alive with the fact that we know Jesus as Savior and growing in Christ as Lord, showing the love of Christ to others and going into the world to share the good news of the risen Savior, someone who lives in us and is with us every moment of our lives. You see, God is in the business of changing lives. I know because he changed mine. And I know because he changed some of yours. We're going to celebrate at the South Campus today some of the lives that have been changed because of that ministry, because of that mission outpost there uh, in southern Warren County. But the undeniable reality was that the man walked. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. Peter reached out and touched the man. Healing uh, became personal. You see, 
there are people that only you can reach. Only you. And there will be people in heaven because of you. Because of your witness. Because of you sharing what Jesus Christ has done in your life. There were no committees. There were no corporate structure. There were no deadlines to meet. No memos. No, no surveys uh, uh, in heaven. None of that there. People are the reason that Jesus came. When you get there, there's not going to be any business meetings. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's no committee meeting. There are no budgets to balance. There's no conflict to overcome. There's only Jesus, and he's in charge. We want people to know Jesus and spend eternity in heaven. The proof was the man leaped. So what does the story mean to us today? Well, I believe that God's still in the business of transforming lives. I believe that the church needs to believe that Jesus Christ will change people's lives. God wants everybody to be spiritually whole. He wants everybody to receive forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. And along with that forgiveness comes healing, uh, both emotionally uh, and physically, that God wants to heal us emotionally, spiritually, and He wants us to be whole in Him. And the unforgettable impact was, it says, and the people were filled with awe and wonder. Listen to what it says. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. These two disciples, Peter and John, and then it carries over to the rest of the book of Acts. They took a risk. They took a risk. This church took a $4.2 million risk. But here's the deal. I think I've said this before. If I haven't, I'm going to say it again. If I have said it. The church is not in the business of saving money. I've heard it all my ministry. Well, we need to save money. The church is in the business of getting people saved. And you need to put whatever money you got into the game. What if Jesus comes back and you got all this money in the bank? The pagans are going to get it. See, it's time to put it into the enterprise of the gospel. That doesn't mean that we ought to be good stewards and to use wisely, but you invested in the future. These early disciples, both Peter and John and then the leaders of the early church, were risk takers. You know, we're born risk takers. We learn eventually to crawl. And then eventually we... We learn to toddle. And then when that kid learns to walk, watch out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? The next thing you know, they're driving. <laughs> <You know? laughs> We're born risk takers. What happens is we get older. Here's what happens. We say, well, I'm just kind of comfortable where I am. I shall not be moved. <laughs> And we get comfortable, don't we? Now, that's my pew. I want you to sing my songs. I want to come to worship when I want to come to worship. But God wants us to live on the edge, the edge of the gospel. He wants us to see people that need Christ. 
He wants us to take risk. He wants us to get off dead center. Um, I don't know if it's a true story or not, but it's a good story. Uh, supposedly a radio uh, host was interviewing uh, some paramedics about their work, um, you know, responding to 911 calls. And they asked him, one, they asked one of the paramedics, what's the strangest 911 call you ever responded to? He said, oh, that one's easy. We responded to a 911 call at, church, at a church, local church, and they said that a man was dead, or at least he was dying. He was in real trouble. He said, well, what was un- unusual about that? He said, well, we had to wake up four men until we found the one that was in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I've been in them churches, haven't you? I've seen some people here that during during my sermon, their their mouth, they're catching flies, man. You know, they're flopped open, and I'm telling you, they're getting them good. Just don't snore is what I'm saying, you know. Uh, We need to come alive, don't we? We want to make the church sure that the church is alive. Uh, this early church was alive with the power of the gospel. Sometimes we laugh at those things, but I'm telling you, God's in the business of changing people's lives. I remember growing up in a church, I was bored. First Baptist Church of Burnside, um, it, it was no fun. The church was no fun. The preacher was mad about everything. He was against it. You all understand that? I mean, that's another good Kentucky word. He was against it. And he didn't have to have a text. He just got up on Sunday morning. He picked some subject. He's against it. You know, women didn't wear pants unless they wore them at home. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I used to think that was the biggest hypocrisy I ever heard. Women aren't to wear pants. And then I went home, and my mama had the pants. And my grandmother wore big pants. I'm telling you, she ran the family. You know what I'm saying? She had big pants on. She ran it. She, all she had to do was snap her fingers. My, uh, you know, you didn't. You didn't wear pants, you didn't play cards, you didn't dance, and you know, blah, 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 and all that stuff. You didn't smoke unless you was a deacon, and then you did it on the front steps right before church started. You know, and that's true. I, I ain't kidding you. I mean, it's the truth. And so the tiles, they don't have them now. They've redone it. But the, the ceiling was these uh, one-foot tiles. There's 393 of them. <laughs> <laughs> I learned to count by counting the tiles on, now I'm not kidding you, on Sunday morning, 393. I'd go one row and then I'd skip over and sometimes I'd start on the right and I'd go down. Sometimes I'd go across and I was hoping that it would take me long enough to when he finally shut up. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. God, help us. You know, the thing about being a follower of Jesus is that once you come to know Jesus, He changes your life. I used to dread going to church. But then once I met Jesus, I don't come to church for any other reason other than Jesus. Now, I enjoy the people. I enjoy the, the, the music. I enjoy the Bible study. But Jesus is the reason. Some of us have gotten over Jesus. I read a story about a pastor that had a colonoscopy, and I, I highly recommend one of those things. The best thing about the colonoscopy is the drugs. <laughs> you know, it, it is. Hello, anybody here want to give a witness? I mean, hello, bring on the drugs, right? Wouldn't do it without it. 
Anyway, this pastor had had a colonoscopy, and he was coming out from under the drugs, and his wife was sitting there by him. And he looked at her and said, honey, you sure are beautiful. And she said, well, thank you. And then he kind of drifted back into the drugs. And, and so a few minutes later, he woke up, and he looked at her and said, honey, uh, you sure are pretty. And he, she said, well, well, what happened to beautiful? And he said, well, I guess the drugs is wearing off. <laughs> I guess the drugs is wearing off. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. Some of us, getting saved has worn off. Some of us, there was a time we were excited. We were, a, we were a vibrant witness. We were inviting people to come to church. We were telling them about what Christ did in our lives. But something happened. And the drugs is worn off. Salvation's worn off. I want to challenge you to get fresh with God, to be excited. Pastor's on his way. He is. He's going to bring a, some fresh wind and fresh fire. But listen, he needs a church filled with people that are optimistic about the gospel, that have an unquenchable optimism that Jesus changes lives. And that Eastwood Church was planted here in 1953 to not only start Glendale and Hillview. What about Hillview? 4,000 people. 500 people a year have been baptized at Hillview for 20 years. And part of the reason of that is this church had a vision to start churches. That vision needs to continue. That we continue to start churches all over Warren County and beyond. Why? Because 85% of this county doesn't go to church anywhere. And they need a gospel-centered, Christ-centered, good news-sharing church, including this one and the South Campus. You see, the vision continues. It continues through us. I do believe fully that the next 10 years will be the best 10 years in the life of this church. You and I need to get ready, and we need to get right, and we need to get on board. And maybe that's where some of you are today. Several years ago, Charlene and I went to East Tennessee. We had seen a movie where this uh, man and woman took a glider ride. It was very romantic. So we decided that we were going to go to East Tennessee to a place over there and take a glider ride. So we got out there now, we didn't ever one, neither one of us thought about that we get car sick. <laughs> you know, we, we hadn't thought about that. This was a glider. So we get out there early that morning, and what we found out was we couldn't ride together. Well, that was a bummer. You know, she was going to have to ride in one glider, and I was going to have to ride in another. Well, I got to looking at those things, they don't have a motor. <laughs> so, so they put us in a golf cart, took us out to where we were supposed to get into these gliders. Well, they got her strapped into hers, and I kept walking around this glider. And, 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 and the pilot was there, and, and, and he said, uh, Mr. Garland, it, it's time. I said, uh, I said brother, um, how, how's this thing take off? He said, well, we're going to hook a, a, a rope on, and that, that plane's going to take us up to about 5,000 feet and going to release us. I said, that's what I'm worried about right there. 
I said, how are you going to get this thing on the ground? He said, well, I'm going to land it. And I said, well, what kind of experience do you have? He said, I've been a Delta pilot for 25 years. Before that, I was in the Army. And I said, did those planes have engines? <laughs> he said, they all did. And I said, well, he, I, I, and I, just, I kept walking around that glider. And finally, that man said to me, Mr. Garland, if we're going to take this ride, you need to get in. Now, we took it, and we got up to 5,000 feet. I did really well until we hit one of those air pockets, and it, 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 it fell about 200 feet. Left my, it left my stomach at 200 feet. And I said to him, you got one of them bags? <laughs> He said, are you not feeling well? I said, oh, man, that ain't. And I said, you're getting ready to have a problem here, I do believe. And he said, well, I'll get you on the ground. He said, you just focus on something right in front of you, and I'll get you on the ground as soon as possible. I took that plane ride twice, first and last. I ain't going to do that again. You know what I'm saying? But the truth is, if I was going to take that ride, I had to get in. Jesus Christ will change your life. Those of you watching online and those of you listening, Jesus Christ will change your life. He has the power to change your neighbor's life, your children's life, your co-worker's life, the people God puts in front of you. But you've got to see them, and you've got to believe it, and you've got to experience it for yourself. The Williams and Peter and John offered the man Jesus was that Jesus had, in fact, changed their life. And that's what we're all about, isn't it? Let's stand to our feet as we pray together. Lord, thank you for the vision that people had, even for the bumps along the way, the interruptions of what their plans were. Uh, but you had other plans, Lord. Thank you for the vision, the risk that they took to start that South Campus, first at Plano and the school, and then and that 12 acres that became available. Lord, we know it's your spirit. And Lord, we know you have great things in store for Eastwood Baptist Church in the days ahead. The best days are yet to come. And God, we just can't hardly wait to see what you're going to do. But Lord, help us to be ready, to be right, right with you, to be risk takers, people that see the future, even if it's only partly, even if we see it through broken, sinful lenses. We know that you're able and you do want to change people's lives. Thank you for this, this lame man. Thank you for Peter and John. And thank you for his testimony as he leaped and jumped for joy. Lord, help us to be people that are contagious with the good news of the gospel. We pray you'll bless the services today at, as we go from here to South Campus. God, we pray for anyone listening online that has never come to Christ. We pray even today, this might be the day they trust Jesus as their Savior. Say, Brother Dan, how do I do that? If you're willing to turn from your sin to Christ, ask Him to be your Savior and your Lord, He'll do it right now. Lord Jesus, please come into my life and be my Savior and be my Lord. Please forgive me my sins and give me the gift of everlasting life. I commit my life to follow you. Jesus name I pray. That's the desire of your